Good morning and welcome. Welcome to our service, this our gathering this morning. And as we come as the family of God, it is great to be together on this lovely summer day. And if you're visiting with us, we're glad that you've joined us. I'm going to read from Psalm 138. I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. Before the gods, I will sing your praise. I will bow down toward your holy temple, and I will praise your name for your unfailing love and your faithfulness, for you have so exalted your solemn decree that it surpasses your fame. When I called you, you answered me. You greatly emboldened me. Many, may all the kings of the earth praise you, Lord, when they hear what you have decreed. May they sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. Let's stand if you're able and sing together.
from Psalm 138. Though the Lord is exalted, he looks kindly on the lowly. Though lofty, he sees them from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With your right hand, you save me. The Lord will vindicate me. Your love, Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your hands. Amen. And as we continue to worship through singing, we'll be learning a new song. So join in as you feel comfortable. Oh, 
God, you are everything and more. And we come before you acknowledging our need for you, acknowledging that we can't do things without you. But God, so many times we try. We try to do things and work in our own steam and not depend on you. And we come now to a place of confession where we acknowledge that we are broken, that we need you. So let's come before God.
like holy water pouring over our heads as we come before you and as we have confessed. We accept the forgiveness that Jesus, you bought for us on your, with your death on the cross. And we accept that you love us so much that you want to forgive us. Help us to know that forgiveness. And help us to know that we are your loved and adopted children. Amen. And as God's forgiving people, we do come and we accept his forgiveness and peace that he gives us. And we pass that peace to one another. Let's pass the peace of Christ to one another. Peace to you. Morning, everyone. Uh, it's so wonderful to worship with you here today. Um, if you're joining us for the first time, a special welcome to you. Uh, our September Delve is now out. So Delve is a magazine that we as a church, um, I guess we publish it, and um, it has events that are happening in the month. It's got articles written by um, people who are part of our church, um, things that they're reflecting on or just like really helpful information. And so you can go help yourself to uh, a copy of it out in the lounge just there, or you can get it online as well on our website. After worship today, we're going to be gathering uh, in our garden just outside here, and there are going to be refreshments and pancakes as well. So do join us after worship for uh, just a time of fellowship and um, tasty pancakes, I suppose. <laughs> um, our discipleship kids team are prepping for the fall and they're looking for volunteers. So if this is something that you feel called to or something that um, you really value, um, you can email Jeremy or speak to him after worship. And yeah, it would be really great to have a wonderful team of volunteers serving our, our children. Um, so if, yeah, if you would like more information, you can get hold of Jeremy about that. Earlier this summer, we planted our garden and we've done a number of harvests since then. We have three more harvests that are going to be coming up. So the last Wednesday of August and then the 13th of August and the 27th, oh, 13th of September, right, gosh, August has flown by, I'm like still st stuck at the beginning or the end of July there. So the 13th of September and the 27th of September, if you are able to help with harvesting or with watering as well, um, we're looking to be able to keep like tend to our garden throughout the week as well, right? If we want something to harvest, we need to be tending to it. So if you're able to do this, you can contact myself or send an email to garden at springgardenchurch.ca 
and it would be really great to have a number of volunteers who are able to help with that so that um, we're not having to do it all the time. It is a little bit weather dependent. It's also like harvest times are kind of fluid, so it's helpful to know beforehand if you're able to do that so that you don't show up and there's no one here because things had been moved around a little bit. Um, one last thing, as we um, anticipate the start of our new ministry year, we're going to be launching that on September 10th, and we're going to have a barbecue, there's going to be ice cream, there's going to be different games and that kind of thing, so we invite you to um, put that into your calendars and make it out to, to worship that day and for a time outside um, of just fellowshipping together and celebrating the new ministry year. We are looking for any volunteers who may be able to help with barbecuing, uh, with, with cleanup, setup, that kind of thing. Um, and then also we will be taking a group photograph that day. And so like obviously we would love it if as many of you are able to come out and be in that photograph, but if that makes you feel uncomfortable, we don't want that to deter you from coming, so we still invite you to come. We're not forcing you to be in a photo if you happen to be there. Um, and if you have a DSLR camera, I think that's what it's called, um, please can you email Dale? He's still looking for somebody who may have a really nice camera to take that photograph. So that's all the announcements we have for today. Um, I will now invite the person who's going to be blessing our children to come up. Good morning. Um, my name is Abby. I am one of the counselors working here this summer, and today I'll be doing the children's blessing. Um, I'll be reading from Isaiah 54, verse 13. All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. Now, can all the adults extend their hands like this to bless the children, and can all the kids cup their hands like this to receive this blessing? Dear God, we come to you with open and grateful hearts, giving you thanks for this wonderful gift of children. We earnestly seek your blessing for our lovely children and their families, showing and enveloping them in love. May your wisdom and grace be their light source in guiding them as they grow. We ask you to fill them up with kindness and generosity, and may they always feel the warmth of your love and guidance of your nurturing care, so that they are a blessing and compassion to their communities, and help you bring light into the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Good morning. It's my privilege to lead us in prayer this morning. And so I would ask that you, oh, you keep your eyes open or closed as you like. Dear Father, we are here this morning aware of the wonderful privilege it is to be in your presence. We have been singing songs of praise and we have 
We know that your heart is touched when you hear the praise of your people. So much of the Psalms tell us that worshiping you is an essential part of life. But Lord, on this morning, as our world in some ways seems to be burning or flooded or at war, our hearts are heavy. And like when we read in Jeremiah and Isaiah of the people who listened to those prophets and didn't pay attention, we come to ask your forgiveness because that's us. We have had prophets who told us this is what will happen unless you change. And we chose to ignore them. God, we come to ask your forgiveness for the beautiful world that you have made that we have by our carelessness, by our greed, by our selfishness, have destroyed. We are like children on Christmas Day with the new gift that we've unwrapped. And then the gift gets broken and we say, I want a new one. But that's not the way it works. And so we come this morning needing encouragement, needing a word of encouragement from you. We are grateful that you forgive us. We're grateful that you reach out to us when our hearts are heavy. I thank you for the words of in Philippians chapter 4 that Paul gave us a message of hope from the Holy Spirit. He started off, Lord, by saying that we should settle disagreements among us. We know the cost there is of carrying resentment and bitterness. And so we ask that you lay your finger on any disagreements, any clouded relationships that are in our lives, that we may settle them, that we may feel at peace with others. And then you said, be considerate in all you do and be full of God's joy. Oh, Lord, sometimes it's hard to be considerate. Sometimes when we're driving on a busy highway and someone cuts us off, it's hard to be kind. It's hard to think kind thoughts. But we know that when you give us instructions, they're because you want us to experience your joy. And we thank you for that joy that bubbles up within us. And then you said, don't worry, but instead pray. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he's done. God, if we were to stop right now and ask everyone here to say what God has done in their lives, we might be here all day. We might never finish if we were really honest to talk about what you have done in our lives. It's beyond our imagination. And yet so often, we don't think about that. We think about the big problems. We think about the financial need. We think about other things that weigh us down. And so we ask that today you would remind us to think about 
what you have done and to thank you for that. And then you said, and then God's peace will be with you. Peace beyond understanding. And that peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Jesus. Lord, we need a guard around our hearts and our minds. Because our minds sometimes are like a bird in a cage, hitting against the sides of the cage, not stopping, just, just going every direction. And we ask that you guard our thoughts. You said, fix your thoughts on things that are true and honorable, that are right, that are pure, that are lovely, admirable, excellent, and worthy of praise. Wow. Boy, we see that list. And we know that those kind of thoughts often are far from our mind. And so we ask that you teach us how to keep those thoughts in our mind, to fix our heart and our mind on what is good, on what you have done. And then you said, if you put into practice what you learned, then you will live in peace. And so we reach out this morning to accept from you the gift of peace that you will, in this week, guard our hearts and minds. That as we walk with you, that it might be with thankful hearts, that we would allow your joy to bubble up inside us and bubble out to others. Because we know in this world there are many who are hurting, many who've never heard the good news that Jesus loves them and wants a personal relationship with them. Thank you for the freedom that we have to worship here. Don't ever let us take that for granted. We ask these things in your wonderful name, Jesus. Amen. Please stand if you are able and let's continue to worship and lift up the name of Jesus.
Today's scripture is from, uh, is from Romans chapter 9, verses 1 to 5, and chapter 11, verses 25 to 32. Paul's anguish over Israel. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race. The people of Israel, theirs is the adoption to sonship, theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple, wor the temple worship and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. در مسیح راست میگویم نه دروغ و وجدانم به واسطه روح القدس مرا گواه است که در قلب خود دردی جانگاه و اندوهی همیشگی دارم. زیرا آرزو می داشتم خود در راه برادرانم یعنی آنان که هم نجداد منند ملعون شوم و از مسیح محروم گردم. آنها اسرائیلی و فرزند خاندگی جلال عهدها بدیعه شریعت، عبادت در معبد و وعده ها همه از آن ایشان است. و نیز پدران به ایشان تعلق دارند و مسیح به لحاظ بشری از نسل آنان است. خدای مافوق همه که او را تا به عبد سپاس باد. آمین. Chapter 11, verse 25 to 32. brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the, the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. But 
As far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs, for God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Just as you, as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their obedience. So they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. برادران عزیز میخواهم شما از یک سر الهی آگاه باشید تا دچار غرور نشوید درست است که عده‌ای از قوم اسرائیل در حال حاضر به ضد انجیل عمل می‌کنند اما این حالت فقط تا زمانی ادامه خواهد یافت که آن عده از شما غیر یهودیان که خدا از ابتدا در نظر داشته است به مسیح ایمان بیاورید پس از آن تمام قوم اسرائیل نجات خواهند یافت در همین مورد نوشته شده است نجات دهنده‌ای از اورشلیم خواهد آمد و اسرائیل را از بیدینی رهایی خواهد داد. این از عهد من با ایشان. اکنون بسیاری از یهودیان دشمن انجیل مسیحن. این امر به نفع شما بوده است. زیرا سبب شد که خدا هدیه نجات خود را به شما عطا کند. اما به هر حال یهودیان به خاطر وعده هایی که خدا به ابراهیم و اسحاق و یعقوب داد محبوب او هستند. زیرا وقتی خدا کسی را برگزید و نعمتی به او بخشید دیگر تصمیمش را تغییر نمیدهد. او هرگز وعده های خود را پس نمیگیرد. زمانی شما نسبت به خدا یاقی بودید اما وقتی یهودیان هدیه خدا را رد کردند او همان هدیه را به شما عطا کرد. در حال حاضر یهودیان یاقیند اما ایشان از مهربانی و رحمتی که خدا دارد برخوردار خواهند شد. زیرا خدا همه را در بند نافرمانی قرار داد تا بتواند بر همه یکسان رحم کند. ایمن. Amen. Thanks for that. What a beautiful language, hey? I wish I uh, had the gift of, uh, being, of second, uh, second language, being bilingual. I've tried. <laughs> I'm terrible with languages. Which is funny, because then now you have to hear me uh, use language, even though I'm terrible with it. But. Now I'm going to begin with a joke, hopefully funnier than that one. Ba-doom-ba. Now, please note off the top, this isn't autobiographical, okay, so it's just a joke. Well, it's okay, so I was walking in a park this one day, and I saw this guy sitting on a park bench, and he was crying. And I said, oh, why are you crying? And he said, well, nobody loves me. I said, well, God loves you. Do you believe in God? He said, yes. I said, well, are you a Christian or a Jew by any chance? He said, oh, I'm a Christian. I said, me too, Protestant or Catholic? And he said, oh, I'm Protestant. I said, me too. What denomination? He said, Baptist. I said, oh, me too. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? And he said, Northern Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? And he said, Northern Conservative Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region or Northern Conservative Baptist uh, Eastern? Uh, sorry. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you ruined it. Me too, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region or Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern Region? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region. I said, me too. 
Are you from Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879? Or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912? And he said, Northern Conservative Baptist Lakes Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. And I said, you're right. God doesn't love you, you heretic. <laughs> Now, all joking aside, it's a sad reality that you could actually put any denomination, that when I found this, it wasn't originally Baptist, you could put any denomination into that joke and there's a level of truth to it. Humans deciding who God will save, who God won't. And we come down to these very narrow understandings. The funny thing is that this joke says Catholic or Protestant, and they don't even include the Orthodox Church or the Syrian Church, right? So even the person writing the joke is assuming that there's already just Catholic and Protestant or, or Christian, right? We so narrowly decide who's in by our, the things that we think are the one way. And this section of the letter of Romans that we're looking at today is one of those passages that different Christian traditions actually used over the centuries to try to determine boundary lines between who will be saved and who won't. Even though, and I, I'm fairly confident of this, but as we sang already in that one song, we I, I can't say for 100%, um, but I'm pretty confident that the point of this passage is actually the opposite point. Now let's pray as we begin. God, help us to continue to see you and to hear you this morning as we look at this part of Scripture. That even in the complexities and the mysteries your spirit will lead us to worship you and give you glory. Amen. So today we are looking at uh, this long section of Romans, chapters 9, 10, and 11. Uh, we just had the beginnings of 9 and the ends of 11 read as bookends. So we'll be doing more of an, kind of an aerial tour over a large area, kind of like a helicopter tour over the Amazon uh, and by that, I mean the jungle, not the warehouse, but uh, noting key, we'll be noting key markers along the way, uh, but hopefully get a sense of kind of the overall jungle. And there's a bit of a jungle, there's a lot going on in here. So let's put on our seatbelts and don't lean too far out uh, the open doors. And as we begin, and it's okay if you take a brief nap here and there, I, I won't judge you for that. As we begin, there are a few things that Paul, who's the author of the letter, uh, wrote about earlier in the letter, we need to keep in mind as we consider what he's saying here in this section. And don't worry, I'm not going to review everything that we've gone over in the last few months, just a few key pieces, and especially for those of us uh, here who haven't been with us throughout the series. Running through the entire book of Romans, Paul is addressing this tension within the people who make up the church in Rome. The church in Rome is made up of Jews and Gentiles. The Jews are the ethnic nation that God called to be God's people, going all the way back to Abraham. And the Gentiles, a word which means ethnic, was everyone who wasn't ethnically Jewish. Paul himself it was Jewish, which is key to this passage. And Paul is trying to help these, the Jews and the Gentiles understand how in Jesus, specifically through the resurrection of Jesus, that the Jews and Gentiles, how they are one people. So Paul is showing them how they are united in Jesus and encouraging them to live as one people in unity. 
He's encouraging them to be one family, to make one home together in the midst of the Roman Empire. Secondly, it's important for us as we read Romans 9 through 11 to try to read it through, uh, not through Western individualistic lenses. If we can understand that Paul is writing to groups, not to individuals, it helps us understand what he's doing so much better. For example, back in Romans 3, when Paul says that all have sinned, Paul is not actually talking about individuals, like you have sinned, I have sinned, Anne has sinned, Ben has sinned. He's talking about the groups of Jews and Gentiles. All have sinned is helpfully understood as both have sinned. Now, it is true, all of us as individuals have sinned, but if we see this as the main point, we actually miss Paul's main point, that both Jews and Gentiles have sinned. It doesn't matter which ethnicity you are. It doesn't matter if you were the Jews who were the first people called by God or the second people or the last people. It makes no difference. Both Jews and Gentiles are in the same situation. And even though the Jews were God's chosen people to whom God gave the law, neither Jews nor Gentiles can be saved by this law. Paul has already dealt with the question of To follow Jesus, do we need to become Jewish and practice Jewish laws? And he's answered this with, no, 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 you do not. Both Jews and Gentiles receive grace, righteousness, justice by faith in the faithfulness of Jesus. Both have received adoption as God's children and have life in the spirit through Christ Jesus. So in wrestling with the question of who makes up the children of God, which is so important to Paul that in in chapter 8, He says all of creation is groaning to find out the answer to this. With wrestling with this question of who makes up the children of God, Paul has challenged any Jewish pride to show how God's faithfulness to the Jews required that God bring the Gentiles in. And then here in this section, he's now challenging the Gentile pride to think that, well, now it's theirs. It belongs to them and God's taken it away from the Jews. Now, the positive result of this reality that Paul celebrates is the way the Gentiles are coming to droves, coming to Jesus in droves. Paul himself went from town to town, from city to city, sharing the good news of Jesus. And he always started with the Jews, but town after town and city after city, en masse, the Jews rejected the message of Jesus. It was too much of a stumbling block for them. And so it is with great sorrow and unceasing anguish that Paul looks at his very own people, seeing them rejecting this good news. Paul sees Jesus as the cornerstone of the home that God has built, and his very own people, his fellow Jews, God's chosen people to whom all of the promises and the covenant and the faithfulness and the adoption and the law were given, instead of entering this home, the cornerstone becomes a stumbling block. And so they trip over and they end up sitting on the sidelines while the Gentiles come into the family of God. And this breaks Paul's heart. This passage is one of sorrow. How can this be possible that the people of God called and chosen and elect to bring and receive salvation are actually missing out on that salvation? Is there any hope for them? And what about God's faithfulness? Did God's promises to Israel fail? This is what chapters 9 to 11 are about. And hopefully, after worship, or even during, I suppose, 
you want to read through 9 through 11, um, this will help you to be able to read through that section and, and to see what's going on, uh, and then to see all those beautiful little intricate details in the midst of it. One major theme starting in chapter 9 is this hard-to-understand connection between being chosen and being hardened, being chosen and being not chosen. The basic premise, I think, is that in order for one person or group to be chosen, another has to be not chosen, kind of like two sides of the same coin. And so Paul gives us examples in 9. For example, Abraham had more than one child, but his, for his son Isaac to be chosen child through whom God's people would come, right, become a father of the nation, his other son Ishmael couldn't be chosen. For Isaac's son Jacob to be chosen, his brother Esau couldn't be chosen. He wasn't chosen. Similarly, Paul goes on, the Israelites, for them to be freed from slavery in Egypt and to be the chosen people of God, Pharaoh's heart had to be hardened, otherwise they wouldn't be set free. So another way of saying it is that the hardening of Pharaoh's heart is the salvation of Israel. The act of Esau and Ishmael not being chosen is actually the doorway for Isaac and Jacob to be chosen. I suppose it's somewhat analogous to how when I married my wife Monica and I chose her as my wife, I had to not choose all of the other plentitude of women who wanted to marry me. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. And Monica, this is probably more true on her side, Monica choosing me meant she didn't choose others, Right? She isn't married to anyone else. She's only married to me, and it was by not choosing them that opened the door to choosing me. Monica not choosing others was her mercy towards me. <laughs> now, I try not to see it that way, but I'm just trying to use the language Paul's using here. So we see this interplay of how some are hardened or not chosen so that those who are chosen can become the family of God. And this reveals the mercy of God. In chapter 9, it is those who are not true Israel who are hardened, and they're not being chosen is how true Israel becomes a child of God. And then as we go through chapter 11, Paul uses the same concept. But now it is Israel's rejection that makes the way for everyone else to become the chosen people of God. I'm going to, like, this theme pops up throughout. So uh, Romans 11, 11, because of their transgression, so because of the Jews' transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Their transgression means riches for the world. Their rejection brought reconciliation to the world. Branches were broken off so that I, Gentiles, could be grafted in. And this picture of grafting is a picture where the people of God is an olive tree and the Jews who reject the message of God are the branches from the original root. They are the branches, but they are broken off in order to make room for the Gentiles, branches that were actually from a different and a wild olive tree. The Gentile branches are grafted in, attaching to this nourishing and receiving the nourishing sap of the olive tree because Israel, the Jews, has been broken off. Now remember, Paul is trying to make sense of why the Jews, the chosen people of God, are rejecting Jesus. Jesus, who is God's faithfulness to the Jews, yet the Jews aren't interested. 
And so then he's looking back through his scriptures, what we would call the Old Testament, and to show this theme of how one group's rejection opens the door for other groups' inclusion. Paul quotes the Old Testament left, right, and center to show how inbuilt this is into the nature of being God's children. And so now it is Israel, the Jews, whose rejection serves the purpose of the Gentiles, everyone else to be included. God wanted the Gentiles to be welcomed in the faithful love of God through the resurrection. And the Jews rejecting Jesus is what opened the door for the message to spread beyond one ethnic group to all people. Israel is the salvation of all people because of their rejection of salvation. It's a, hard, it's a hard argument to follow. But as Paul continues in chapters 10 and 11, he actually tells us that Israel's rejection of Jesus isn't the end for the Jews. A few weeks ago, I used this image of a famous painting of great artistry and value and when it's compared to a stick version of the same thing. I use it to show how in Romans 5, Paul compares and contrasts sin and grace where sin is like the stick figure drawing in comparison to the great value and beauty of grace. Sin is a huge, huge problem, but in comparison to grace, it's just the stick figure. So here in chapter 11, Paul actually uses, uh, a couple times he uses the exact same words. He's doing this compare and contrast. So here's Paul's great hope for the Israelites. Uh, 11 verse 12. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will there be for full where how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? Uh, six, uh, verse 15. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what were they'll will their acceptance be? but life from the dead. In this place, if we think about reconciliation and, and um, rejection, it's like estrangement. Their estrangement from their father brought reconciliation, brought adoption for the whole cosmos. And if, that, if, it, if, their, if their estrangement from God brings that, how much more will their being reunited, their being acceptance be? It will be so much more that it will be like life from the dead which we know in Jesus becomes literal life from the dead. Chapter 11, verses 23 and 24. If they do not get persistent, if they, as in the Jews, do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature, and contrary to nature, you Gentiles were grafted into the cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? And in case you missed the point, chapter 30, or uh, verse 30. Just as you, oh, you know, oh, there we go. Just as you Gentiles who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they, the Jews, too, have now become disobedient in order that they too may receive the mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. God's mercy to the Gentiles through the disobedience of the Jews will lead to their receiving mercy as well. 
Israel's rejection, disobedience, and unbelief is what led to the inclusion, faith, and adoption for the whole world, the whole cosmos. But even the salvation of all Gentiles is but a stick figure in comparison to the beautiful artistry of grace and hope to the Jews being grafted in as well and receiving God's mercy. This is Paul's great hope, is that the Gentiles who have been grafted in will then become the means of salvation for the Jews to be brought back. Interestingly, Paul's main vehicle, understanding of how they will be drawn back, is through envy and jealousy. Paul quotes Moses back in chapter 10, saying, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. The hope is that the Jews will see God, what God is doing amongst the Gentiles, seeing those who are not a nation of God's people becoming adopted children of God. And they will become so envious that they will return to their father. Now, one thing that's hard for us in this, if that's not hard enough to kind of grasp, is that for Paul, his, his eschatology, his understanding of when all this was going to happen, he thought it was going to be pretty soon. He didn't think it was going to be that long until this happened. He saw the message, and he, said he sees himself spreading this message. He's going to be a key part of the Jews becoming jealous and envious and coming back. Now, 2,000 years later, we know that that wasn't the case. But we still have this hope of Paul's. Uh, it just won't look exactly the same as Paul was hoping, because he thought it was going to happen likely in his own lifetime, from as fruit of his own uh, ministry. Uh, and I think that that still will happen, though his ministry is now we have in Scripture as opposed to him with us. So here the hope is that the Jews will see what God is doing amongst the Gentiles, seeing those who are not a nation of God's people becoming adopted children of God. And they will become so envious that they will return to their father. One thing that is interesting to me is how often this scripture, section of Scripture is used to talk about who's in and who's out. We try to create rules, measuring sticks, to determine who is elected to be God's children and who is elected for eternal destruction. To claim that God is is, has destined some people to salvation and God has destined others to death. To those who will say, if God is choosing everything, will God, who, if God is choosing who God will have mercy on and who God will harden, does anyone really have any choice in the matter? And I think Paul's answer is kind of like a Job-like way is to simply say, who are we to question God? Does God not have the right answer to do whatever God knows best? But it seems, and it can seem here in this moment, and many Christian traditions have gone this way, that in chapter 9, Paul is arguing what many Christians will call predestination. It's the idea that God is predestined, has a, he has already decided your destiny. The idea that no one has any free will as it relates to being saved, but that God has already predestined it. God has already elected who will be saved and who won't. I personally don't believe that. And I personally don't believe that's what happened in Scripture. But lots of people have come to that conclusion. So if you're there, that's fine. We can talk about it later. But what I think is happening here in, is that chapter 9 is connected to chapter 11. And we should realize that this isn't, I think, isn't Paul's point. When we read carefully, we see that Paul isn't saying that God will create some for wrath and destruction and some for mercy. 
Paul doesn't say God will or God does, but he says God could. Paul's point is that we aren't in a position to argue with God about it. Paul, as Paul points out in chapter 11, God's judgments are unsearchable. God's wisdom and knowledge and riches are te- too deep for us to fathom. Who are we to question it? We shouldn't question God. But I still don't think that he's saying we shouldn't question. If God wanted to, he could. But I don't think Paul is saying that he does. Paul's conclusion to this whole section is Romans eleven thirty two. God has bound everyone over disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. So you can mercy. The whole point is that God will have mercy on them all. So we can't really say God's going to have mercy on them all, and, but he's predestined some of them to eternal destruction. In my perspective. All have been bound, both Jews and Gentiles, chosen and not chosen. All have been bound in disobedience, but this is so that God may have mercy on them all. This is God's endgame. This is Paul's hope. Though we see even with that hope, there's still this tension, because Paul has this realization that there might just, he talks about remnant, the remnant of Israel. He has this sense that not everyone individually is going to, that all is in these groups of Israel and the Gentiles. All will receive this mercy, but with this tension of knowing that not everyone is going to accept this message. Not every individual will receive it. So what are we to do with this? As people who have been mercifully grafted into this living tree that is God's people. Well, I I think a first thing and a most obvious thing to me is to utterly reject any notion of anti-Semitism that comes across our path. Sadly, anti-Semitism has been in the church for centuries. Goes all the way back to some of our church fathers like Augustine, through the reformers like Martin Luther, and into today. People we consider heroes in the faith were deeply anti-Semitic, and we just kind of ignore that part of what they write about. Right? Because, because of the beauty and the good things of other things. We need to reject this part of any teaching, regardless of how, in, especially because it's so rooted in our history, we need to work hard to reject this. Any notion of anti-Semitism, I believe, is not only misreading Scripture, but is actual un- utter sinfulness. Related to this, I think, if anything, Romans 9-11 should stir up in us a humility towards our faith. Not only because that who, who are we to question God, but there is no room for us to be arrogant about being the children of God. As Paul writes in uh, 11 verses 22 to 25, Consider therefore the kindness, the kindness and the sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. If you do not persist in unbelief, if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that was wild by nature and contrary to nature, were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted back in to their own olive tree? I do, not you, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. 
We were grafted into this living root and life-giving nourishment of the, the sap of God's family by nothing that we have done, but by the grace and the mercy of God. And God has grafted us and chosen us so that we could be instruments of God's grace in the world, instruments through whom others are grafted in as well. If you want to talk about predestination, our destiny are, is to be grafted in so that we can help others come. We aren't elect to be the, to be the ones. We are elect to be the ones who bring the message and help others to also come into their, the mercy of God to become the elect as well. In chapter 10, Paul compares Jesus with the Hebrew law. He quotes Deuteronomy, which is a book in the Old Testament, part of the Torah, that says that the law, the law isn't too difficult or out of reach. It isn't up in heaven where you have to reach up and get it to bring it down. And it's not heaps beyond the sea that you have to go far to get it. But it is actually very near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. So Paul reinterprets this to be about Jesus. And he says, Jesus isn't out of reach. He's not up in heaven that we have to go up there and get him to come down. Because Jesus already did, right? Jesus came, already came down. And he's not deep in death. Paul changes the metaphor from across the sea to saying deep in death. And he's, Jesus is not deep in death. He's actually, he did die, but he's already been raised from the dead. So we don't have to bring him up. He's already been brought up. Even if we tried, we obviously couldn't have bring him down or raised him from the dead. But he ha already has by no part of our own, and he is near to us. Like the law, but even better, Jesus is so close that his word is in your mouth and in your heart, as Deuteronomy says. And this is what Paul is talking about when he says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. This isn't to say, this is the way you can tell the difference between a true Christian and a fake Christian. A real Christian will confess with their mouth and will believe in their heart. And that is how we can measure who's in and who's out. That isn't Paul's, death, Paul's point. Paul's point is that Jesus is so close to us by nothing we have done that he has come to earth, he has defeated death, and he's so close to anyone and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord that we shall be saved he is in our mouths and in our hearts. There is no place for arrogance or conceit. This is a gift freely given. Jesus is close, not by what we do or say, but by the mercy of God. And in the mercy of God, as we have been called children of God, so God will use our adoption and our willingness to share this good news with others to reveal God's mercy on all people, Jews and Gentiles alike. Not only do we not create it, but we don't control it. The church, the faith, Jesus, is not ours. We cannot control it. We sh well, we try to control it, but it isn't ours to control. God welcomes people in that we think are rejected. When we think we've figured out who's elected, who isn't, God says he's got mercy on them all. When we sit there and question, am I, I can't tell, am I one of the elect? God says, you were in disobedience, but I have offered my mercy to you. And part of the way that God has mercy on all, 
again, is to use those who are in the family of God to bring the good news to those who are outside of the family. Jew and Gentile alike, God wants to graft them in and invites us into this mysterious movement of calling and adopting. So that as long as we are not arrogant or conceited, but as we live out the kindness of God and God's mercy, we are invited to be a part of God's calling and inviting into the family of God. All have been bound in disobedience so that God may have mercy on them all. We are all bound for mercy. And this is way beyond anything that we can fathom or understand. Paul's big conclusion to this whole thing is to respond to this mystery in praise. And I'll end with, with this. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. As we respond to what God has spoken to us through Greg this morning, we are reminded of God's great love and mercy for us. We're reminded of his desire to draw us closer and closer as his adopted children. And no matter how far away we are, or how broken we are, how unworthy we feel to accept his grace and love and mercy. God is there with open arms to graft us in and to welcome us to be part of the family. Please stand as you are able and let's sing together.
And in response to his great love for us, we offer our lives and our financial resources to be used to further his kingdom here at Spring Garden and beyond. And there are ways to give online and QR codes in a box in the back um, if you want to give physically. And if you're visiting with us today, please feel no obligation to give. We're glad that you've joined us. Um, we do consider giving financially an act of worship, so please also feel free to join us in that. We'll sing one last song of praise and uh, be sent out with a blessing.
Amen. And now go with this blessing. As you go into the world this week, may God continue to work out his salvation in your lives. May you know that everything comes from him, everything happens through him, everything ends up in him, and may you share his praise and glory with those you meet this week. Amen. Go in peace.